Hey C3 Kurumlin, it is so good to see you again. And if you're joining us for the first time, my name is Dan, my wife Han and I get to be the lead pastors of this incredible church. Right now we're doing things online and we're starting to roll back out gatherings now. We have Sozo small group gatherings on Sundays. Today, you guys watching from your homes, hello, hello everyone. We love you, we love you, we love you. Mwah, mwah, mwah. Might even be with one of you. And uh, we also do Wednesday gatherings in our church cafe. Um, we do Wednesday words. It's, it's amazing. And so we, we love having you join us today. It's been a lot of fun doing this season as a church, but also growing together and seeing what things to hold on to, what things to let go of, what things to change. And uh, it's so good to have you joining us today. And once again, I just want to give another special hello to all those Sozo groups. You guys look beautiful and amazing. I love you guys so much. Hannah and I are so proud of you. And it's so good to see these gatherings happening again and getting reports from what's happening there. Incredible. Well, we are in week two of a preaching series called White Fields. And I know that might sound a bit strange, but it comes out of John chapter 4, verse 35. And Jesus is correcting his disciples and they're thinking about who the gospel is for, who salvation is for, who God's love is for and who it's not. It's not for these people. And Jesus just corrects them. He says, I tell you the truth, lift up your eyes, look around, the harvest is ripe, it's ready. He says, the fields are white and ready for the harvest time. And what he's saying there is don't limit salvation or don't limit you playing a role in God's salvation plan to this. I'm called to these people, these people I'll talk about Jesus with, or these people I'll tell them they're loved. Right now, I I truly believe more than ever, our church is in a season where it's ripe, it's prime. There are people in our lives, people around us who would never come to a church building when services were downstairs here, but they will watch online and they will click that link that you're sharing on Facebook or, or on Instagram. People are ready. People are ready to tune in. And I think more than ever, God is blessing us and giving people ears to hear the gospel, ears to hear that they are loved. You are loved as you are right now. And so church, I want to challenge and encourage us, lift our eyes, look around. It's time. It is time for salvation. It's a time to take God's love to our world. And today, I really just want to flesh out a practical one, a really topical, simple message today. But what what could it look like for us to live out Acts chapter 1 verse 8? Now, as you know, our focus for this whole year is out of Acts 1.8. And the scripture, for those who don't know, says Jesus is promising. He's, he's died. He's risen again. He's talking to his disciples. He's about to go to heaven. And he says, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And Today, I want you to allow me to have a little bit of preacher's license, a little bit of uh, putting our kind of view on what could that scripture look like. And I want to ask, what, what is Jerusalem to us? What is Judea to us? What is Samaria to us? And what are the ends of the earth to us today? What could that look like? Uh, I want us to see this practically. Practically, how do we speak the gospel? Who are we sharing it with? How, how do we think about that? Otherwise, we're going to limit it to kind of, uh, if I do an overseas missions trip, then I'll share the gospel. Or uh, what about now? What about every day? What about Monday to Friday? What about our everyday living, living and breathing the gospel? What could this look like now? And I don't know about you, church, but something that has resonated in me for over 10 years, I mean, loudly, 
is this desire above everything else to one day enter the gates of heaven and hear these words yelled, well done, good and faithful servant. For me, every time I read that, it's a verse out of Matthew chapter 25. The master says to his servants, well done, good and faithful servant. Something has just oh, it's echoed in my heart for over a decade now. That's all I want. No matter what this side of eternity looks like, the highs and the lows, the ups and the downs, the, the good and the bad times, I know it's all going to be involved in my life here on earth, but one day we'll depart. One day I'll go to heaven and all I want to hear is Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. And I wish that I could say that it's just an easy term that everyone will, will hear, but scripture is clear that there are certain servants who just didn't want to work in the same passage, in context, certain, certain servants out of fear or certain servants out of uh, an apathy or servant servants for whatever reason didn't go. They didn't do the will of the master and they don't hear that message. They, they don't hear well done. Instead, they, they receive quite a different statement from the master. And I don't say that to add a, a pressure. I don't say that to add a weight. But at the same time, my, my calling and my role as a pastor is to remind us of our true north and it's to remind us of what is required of us. Even though salvation is free and eternal life is free, we're still called church. We are called. You need to know you are called to be commissioned, to be empowered, to take God's love to your world. There are people you know that will never listen to me, but they will listen to you. And so once again, today I just want us to spend time there looking at what is Jerusalem, what is our Jerusalem, what is our Judea, what is our Samaria, what is our ends of the earth. And so Jerusalem, what could our Jerusalem be? For me, there's, I don't know, there's two things that jump out to me anyway. I think it's your church and your family, your family. What could it look like for you to take, to be empowered by the Spirit, to take God's love to your family, your immediate family? I am so lucky to, to, to hear so many testimonies of older pastors and people who have done well, people who have not done so well. And one of the things that breaks my heart, especially as a pastor, but I think it applies to every parent here, is to hear about pastors who, who preach so well, who do church so well, but at home they're a different person. And it breaks my heart to hear stories like that, but they exist. At home, they, they don't love their kids well. They don't honor their wife well. They, they don't treat their family well. They don't focus on loving and discipling their family. And that's always just been such an, an urgency to me. If you're new to our church, we clearly say your relationship with God is absolutely number one. Nothing trumps it. Then it's your, your relationship with your spouse. In my opinion, that is first. That is the only person this side of eternity you will be one flesh with. And unapologetically, we say then it's spouse. After that, then it's your children. You are called to your children. You are called to disciple your children. After that, you're commissioned into the world. Your role in church or occupation, your thing like that. What we do, our ministry is after that. And so our family takes priority. I've said so many times, if I um, get to the end of my role at pastoring and leading C3 Corumban and it didn't go as well as I'd hoped, but Hannah, my wife, loves me and my kids love God and they love me, that's a win. I'm like, yes, I'll celebrate because that's more important to me. But if I succeed at whatever anyone calls success in ministry, that varies from person to person. But if I succeed at ministry, but my wife doesn't feel honored and loved and cherished and my kids don't like me and they don't love God and they don't like church, then I don't know if that call that a success. 
I'm called, number one, first and foremost, to take the gospel and God's love to my Jerusalem, my family. And so how do I do that? It's little practical things. We talk with Dawn, our daughter's five, and we talk about God, and we talk about God's love. We talk about God and creation. Uh, and, you know, we buy a story, a kid's Bible that we resonate with, and we read it to her before bedtime, both at son Abel and Dawn. And then I say light prayers before bed. I pray every night that they grow up knowing that God loves them. Like, Jesus, help them grow up knowing that you love them. That's my number one prayer. I'm like, I don't care if they're in ministry or not. I don't care what they do as an occupation. I don't, it's not up to me. I just pray they know that you are real and you love them. I'm praying that. And I've said this before, but I'll pray with Abel. He's on the bottom bunk. He's two and a half. And I'll pray with him. And as soon as I finish, I'm like, in Jesus' name, amen. He's like, Dawny, Jesus' name, amen. Like, he's like, do you want to pray for Dawny now too? I'm like, okay, buddy. And I'll pray for Dawn. And that, I love that. It's an honor to get to disciple my family and love my family well and lead my family. And so I want you to look. What does it look like for you to take God's love to your family, your immediate family? your wife, your husband, your child. What does that look like to take God's love to your family? What does it look like to take God's love to your church? Man, wow. (laughs) I love the people in our church, but here's the thing I also will recognize and I want you to know, it's like you are going to be so loved when you walk in the doors of our church. Our welcome team are amazing. You are going to feel so welcome and so loved. Our hospitality team, cafe team, the band, the worship, the welcome, everything's going to be amazing. But here's what I promise you, probably six months, eight months in, there's going to be some conflict. Why? Because we're people. Church is led by a perfect God, but his hands and feet are very imperfect people. And we need to be real about that. That's what iron sharpens iron. Proverbs 27, so a man sharpens his friend. What does that mean? What does sharpening mean? There's bits getting pruned off and rubbed off. You're going to have to rub edges with people. They're going to bring out things in you you need to deal with. Don't blame them when all of a sudden impatience is coming out or offense is coming out deal with that but then also they've got their issues they're going through things at work or they were raised a certain way or they've got a certain worldview right now that was shaped by certain things that's what it looks like for the body to come together that's why first corinthians 12 speaks about the body says don't the hand shouldn't tell the foot how to do their job or what to do or the hand shouldn't expect the foot to act like a hand like we're so different at our church we often say we don't want uniformity but we want unity in diversity I'll say that again. We don't want uniformity, but we want unity in diversity. There is different political views. There is different beliefs. There is different backgrounds. There is different ethnicities. And that, the beauty of it is we're joined together by the gospel. We're joined together by the love of Jesus Christ has knitted us and bonded us together. We stand in unity now. And that's beautiful, but that comes with its challenges. And you are called to see that. If you don't see that, you'll be like, oh, so-and-so offended me and I'm done. I'm not coming back to that place. When instead you've been presented with an opportunity to to grow, number one. But you've also been presented with an opportunity to to show the love of God. And God's love is an out-of-this-world love. It's a different love. And what God's love looks like is showing love to people who don't deserve it. I want to challenge you with that. You are called to show love. It's easy to love people who are lovable, right? easy to love people who are like you, who are really kind, who are generous. It's easy. Yeah, okay. You, you, you don't get a Boy Scout badge. We know you can love those people well. Can you love the really challenging people? Can you love the people who have they've just had a tough week or they're in a tough season and they need your love? And they're not going to be nice and they're not going to be kind. They're going to be harsh, but they need you to love them. Well, that's what it looks like for you to take God's love to be commissioned into your Jerusalem.
Next, we're going to move on to Judea. And uh, once again, allowing me to use my preacher's license. But I'm going to speak about your community and your workplace. Your community and your workplace. God has called you to sometimes, you know, we're really great Christians on a Sunday. (laughs) We're really amazing Christians on a Sunday. And then Monday, we forget about it. But if we think about it, we often go to the same petrol station, to the same clerk. We often get our coffee from the same cafe with the same barista. We often do grocery shopping at the same place with the same checkout people. There's, there's familiarity. There's people in our world. And instead of turning off our Christ-like nature and our commissioned gospel-sent nature, imagine if we just kept it simple and we just tried to remember their name, tried to ask about their life. So next time you come, oh, so-and-so, how's it been? How's, how's your family? How's work? You're incredible. All right, see you next week. See you tomorrow. This is what it looks like to be called to your Judea. It's your surrounding areas. It's not your, your imminent close proximity, but it's your surrounding one, your community. And what about your workplace? People week in, week out, day in, day out that you see that sometimes we just overthink that we are called to demonstrate God's love to them. We are called to show them that God loves them. And so I want to stop right now as we're gathering in our Sozo groups. What could God, not what, sorry, who could God be calling you to show his love to this coming week? Think of someone, name one person in your either community or your workplace. Who, one person, who does God want you to show his love to this week. I want you to be intentional with it. I want you to actually pick a person. I want you to actually write their name down. I want you to actually plan at some point in the next week, seven days, for you to intentionally just, just show God's love in some way, shape, and form. Let them know they're loved. Let them know God loves them. Let them know that God's for them, some way, shape, or form. That's up to you, but you're called to do that. Next, I want to spend a bit more time on this one. It's our Samaria. And I spoke on this last week. I touched on it. This is where this verse comes from in John 4. uh, Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman and the disciples are offended. The disciples are shocked. What are you talking to a Samaritan for? Because Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. They, They were enemies. They were outcasts. They were different races, different ethnicities, different belief systems. And he's called us to our Samaritans. And so there's two people I really want to challenge us on because sometimes we don't challenge ourselves enough this way. I want to speak about the people that have offended you. And I want to speak about the people that you are just indifferent to. Offended you or indifferent to. Offense. The people who have offended us, sometimes oh, that person did this to me. That person did this. I'm cutting them off. I don't want us anything to do with that person ever again. And we justify our offense. We justify, we feel, we feel we're allowed to cut them out of our world and not show God's love to them anymore. Like this, that's just wild. Not to get too deep on this, but okay. In Matthew 18, it speaks pretty clearly about the process of church discipline. And in the process of church discipline, it gives four things. Number one, if a brother's offended, you go and talk to them. Step two, if they don't hear it, if they don't repent and receive it, take a brother or sister. Take, it, take someone else from church. If they don't hear it, present it to the church. If they don't hear it, number four, excommunicate them. Okay, let's talk about church discipline when people excommunicate from church, which is a separate topic. But here's what I want you to catch. The fourth thing it says, and treat them like an outsider. Treat them like a non-believer. Treat them like a Gentile. Treat them like a tax collector. Here's what I want you to get. That's not saying... If they don't repent to you and they don't repent to you and your friend when you go and they don't repent to the whole church when you go, then just cut them off. I don't read it that way. 
What does it say? Treat them like a Gentile tax collector. Treat them like a non-believer. How are you and I called to treat non-believers? Are we called to cut them out or are we called to go, oh my goodness, I'm sorry. I thought there was some, I thought there was a, a submission to the Lordship of Jesus in your heart. I thought there was conviction in your heart. When I'm called to love you like a, a, a non-believer, here's how I'm called to love you then. Well, I don't think that because you, you're not listening to God, because you're not listening to repentance, I'm going to love you like someone who doesn't believe in Jesus. I'm going to love you like a non-believer. I don't want you to interpret that as like, cut them off, cut them out of my world. I'm never talking to them again. They offended me. That's not it. It's like, oh, wow, I, I need to treat you like you're a non-believer. God loves you as you are. God loves you so much. And he has repent. If you repent, there's forgiveness on offer. There's restoration on offer. And we want you to come back to Jesus. We want you to come back to a relationship with him. Don't justify your offense. Don't think God's okay with you cutting people out of your world. He's called you to take love to them. And the other, the other group of people just to touch on is the people we're indifferent to. There's, there's not a... There's not an offense, there's not a hatred, there's not an exact wall of hostility there, but there's an apathy, there's an indifference, there's a laziness, there's a lack of emotional concern. And I want us to, to be challenged about that. I want us to be challenged to the people in our proximity now, people in our worlds now, and they think a different way, or they're from a different race, or they're from a different culture, or they have a different belief system, and we are just indifferent to them. They might be maybe our Muslim brothers and sisters living in our community. Maybe they're Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. Maybe they're in the LGBTQI community. And you're like, well, I don't hate them, but there's just an indifference. You don't have any burden to take the love of Jesus to them. And I want to lovingly challenge you, church, on this. Let's just stop for a while and think about, have you and I become indifferent to them? Are we apathetic to the urgency of taking the love of Jesus to these people? Don't justify your indifference. Don't go, well, there's no hatred, so I'm all good. Yeah, there might not be hatred, but there's no urgency. There's no burden to pray for them. There's no burden to tell them Jesus loves them now as they are. Why? That's our, that's our Samaria. They're the people God, like Jesus and this Samaritan in John 4, he couldn't wait. He's like, I'm here. He goes out of his way to talk to this woman. I think we should have the same urgency with our Samaritan brothers and sisters that look completely different. Society tells us we shouldn't be associating ourselves with them. They're the very people we're called to take Jesus' love to. They're the very people we are called to. Don't justify your indifference. Don't justify your apathy. Be active in this. Pray for them at least. And the last thing I'll finish with, I just want to touch on this and to the ends of the earth. You and I are called to be a part of international missions in some way, shape and form. And I think it's healthy for us too. I think it's really good for us to think outside of the Gold Coast or Queensland, Australia. Think outside of that. Sometimes church life is so easy. So easy to be a Christian right now in Australia. It really is. And I know there's a bit of attack online on your Facebook posts. and oh, Wow. Okay. Have you heard about what's happening in Iran right now? Have you heard about what's happening in Africa right now? Have you heard about what's happening in Egypt right now? Uh, there's stories that we could tell that we know about and even our C3 brothers and sisters that are just heartbreaking. And I think you and I are called to allow our headspace and our heart to go there, to, to partner with them, to engage with them. And so these are just three really simple ways that I want you to partner with them, okay? Our, our brothers and sisters overseas, pray. I want you to pray. 
pray for them. Pray for the salvation. Pray for blessing. Pray for provision. Pray for protection. There's literally attack against them. Pray. I want you to give. You and I are called to give to financially to these people. So you can give to either our church missions account. You can sponsor Compassion Children. Anna and I still sponsor two Compassion Children. It's a way of engaging. And a couple of years ago, four years ago, I got to go and visit my Compassion Sponsor Child in Indonesia. It was amazing. You're called to, to think like that. You're called to be generous in that way. And I want to challenge every one of you. Just, just let this seed start to do a work in you. But I'd love to challenge everyone to go at some point. I've said this before, and I think it's great for every Christian at some point to do at least a short-term international missions trip at some point. And I'm not telling you where to go. You get to pray about that. But a week or two and a different culture to see how pastors do it and Christians live, I think it's healthy at some point just to give us a different lens and perspective. And so I think that, if I can wrap that up, that's us taking God's love to our Jerusalem, our family and our church, Judea, our community and our workspace, Samaria, which is our, um, our offense and our indifference. We need to take offense there. And on that, I want us to stop right now. Question I forgot to add before, discussion for the Sozos, an offense or indifference. I want you to, you don't have to, you don't have to confess this. This might be a personal one, but I want you to think of someone you know in your world that there was either offense or indifference. I want you to name one more person now and write their name down. And I want you to start to pray for them. Even if you don't feel comfortable telling them the gospel that God loves them yet, I want you to start to pray for them this week. Name them in prayer. In your prayer life, I want you to start to pray. One person that you're either offended or indifferent towards, bring prayer into the situation. And then finally, international missions. We're called to take God's love there in some way, shape, and form. You might be watching today and you're like, what? What are you, why is it so important about God's love? And I never knew that God loved the world like that. I never knew God loved me like that. Well, he does. And I am sitting here because someone told me God loves me. And I want you to know 100% that I, I feel like I, my sole purpose in life, I'm called to take God's love to our world. And I want you to know as you are now, Jesus loves you. And he has a purpose for your life. 